Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. This week, our guests are Brandon Chase and Will Brewington III of the short film, The Color Brown. I'm Erica Berlin, the Executive Director of the Film Society of Northwestern PA. I'm John Lyons, filmmaker, teaching artist, and director of programming for the Film Society. I'm Mike Berlin, production Sherpa, and husband to Erica Berlin. Well, we've got uh, two special guests on today. Thank you so much for joining us, Brandon and Will. Of course, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. We appreciate it, guys. Of course. Uh, we're all about the independent filmmaker here, for sure. We are ourselves. So uh, we're excited to have you on, excited um, that you filmed in our backyard, which we'll get to soon. But before we start, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves, where you hail from, how you met, um, and then we'll build up to uh, the color brown. Um, so again, I'm Brandon Chase. Um, I'm from the uh, Charles County area, which is in Southern Maryland. Recently graduated from Frostburg State University about a year and a half ago. And yeah, I've just always had a, a love for movies, but the program that I was in at Frostburg didn't have a quote unquote film program. So I decided to join the theater program, which is where Will and I met. Um, and became extremely close friends. And we've always wanted to do something together outside of just uh, stage. And so we created our own opportunity here. I am originally from Baltimore, Maryland. I was born, raised here, still live here. I went to Frostburg State University, you know, alongside Brandon and alongside uh, John Neal Blue, who is the director and one of the stars of the film. And, you know, we pretty much all met together at that Frostburg uh, theater program. Um, I majored in acting as well. I had a minor in mass communication, uh, just a general focus. Just like Brandon said, I've had a love for movies, you know, since I was younger, you know, movies, TV, things like that. Knowing Brandon and Blue, you know, we really wanted to have a platform and a way to create our own opportunities um, because with everything going on with the pandemic and everything, you know, we just were getting tired of sitting at home, you know, not doing anything. So, you know, we, we got to work, you know, and we were lucky to, you know, meet up with Rob and all the other great people in Erie. And, you know, that was just basically how the color brown came to light. Uh, that's awesome. So you all wanted to make something. And so you kind of found your own way uh, to work together. So whose idea originally was the color brown? What's the synopsis um, of the film? And did you all wear uh, multiple hats as often as the case in independent film um, to bring it to life? Um, yeah, so Will and I actually, going back till about April, uh, we started our own writing coalition um, that eventually became a production company that we were trying, that we're forming. Um, and The Color Brown is actually the first project that'll be released underneath that banner. But yeah, it started out as a writing coalition and Will and I got a bunch of writers that we know together to kind of work on projects, keep each other motivated. And that then led to us adding in Blue and Blue came up with the phenomenal idea to have writing prompts. So, you know, maybe the theme of the day would be grief or it would be write two people having a conversation about love and what that means and things like that. 
And so during that time, one of the uh, prompts was grief. And I had been going through a lot for over the past couple years and the pandemic only heightened those things. And so I had originally written, written a short film called, um, I can't think of what it was called. Uh, right one now. Night With Love. One, one, uh, yeah, one, one Night With Love. And it was a five page film that eventually became The Color Brown um, after reaching out to Blue and uh, we expanded it and it kind of became its own thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it's, it's basically about two people, a brother and a sister, Harper and Love, who eventually uh, meet for the first time at their mother's gravesite. And over the course of 36 hours, they kind of feel out the different traumas and, and idiosyncrasies uh, according to their mother's relationship or formed from their mother's relationship and uh, decide to kind of take that, that first step in the grieving process, not only for themselves um, as individuals, but as uh, family. That's awesome. Real quick, you know, and it's funny having worked, I never even asked, was the story, was it an original concept or was it something that you guys had like sort of an anecdotal thing where you had heard of a similar situation and it sort of inspired the script and the screenplay? So initially uh, it was written because uh, I had two really good friends that uh, passed away and I didn't, being in school, you know, you don't really get an opportunity to, to truly grieve those, those things because you have so many other things on your plate. You know, Will and I would be in rehearsal for hours on end after a long day of school. So, um, really allowing myself the time to process those emotions did never really happened. And so when I was writing the original version of it, uh, I couldn't tap into it as much emotionally. So um, I decided that what would, who is somebody I wish I had during those times to kind of help me process those emotions. And rather than it being uh, my friend, uh, I wish it would have been a family member. And I didn't really think that the connection would would be as strong if it was some if it was a family member that I had already known. And so if it was somebody who was able to go through that those very same things at the same time as me, and there's so many different things that we had to learn about this person, um, it might make that process a lot easier. It kind of came from that kind of came from that, but when I worked with Blue, we just started digging deeper within ourselves from our own personal lives um, and even you know different situations from you know with Will talking about things how he might have felt or how he would react um, and it just kind of became its its own thing from that but yeah it was definitely really uh, really personal um, that stemmed from those different parts of our lives uh, Blue and I and Will as well. Yeah, it definitely makes it personal, and I like introducing it um, from that angle. It, uh, you know, presents you guys with a lot of opportunities for some interesting drama and storytelling, for sure. Without seeing it, you know, like, sounds like a good choice. Will, were you good? Jump in. Yeah, um, just to answer uh, part of the original question about multiple hats, um, I was brought in halfway through the process um, as the grave digger, which was a part that Brandon and Blue had wrote in, um, just to kind of 
as a character for Harper to interact with, as far as like, you know, his inner psyche and someone that kind of leads Harper through this, you know, emotional phase into his life. Um, but other than that, I personally also um, oversaw the budget for the project, um, you know, just making sure that, that we maintain, you know, food, uh, that, you know, we found a way to transport everybody and everything up to Erie, Pennsylvania, then back down to Baltimore, uh, where most of us are from. And I know, uh, you know, Brandon can speak more on this personally, but, you know, he co-writer and, you know, stars in it and, you know, blue co-writer and director, you know, and we all kind of, you know, have been working together as a whole on the post-production process as well. Just with a, a project on a small scale like this, it's important, you know, that, you know, we try to wear as many hats as we can, you know, just to make sure that the project gets up off the ground. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a real tight-knit group. How, so you said it originally started as kind of like a writing collective. How many people are part of that uh, writer's group? Um, we have about eight, nine people um, a part of the collective. Yeah, so most of the people that we reached out to were close friends of ours from Frostburg, who we knew had the same uh, work ethic and drive that we had. Not all of them are necessarily actors per se. You know, some are writers, some are actors, some are, you know, photographers, things like that. But the common thread was one, you know, they went to Frostburg and two was that, you know, they have a passion for the arts. We know that, you know, their quality of work is elite and which is why we wanted to surround ourselves with people that we knew were going to push us. Um, that's really was the big thing we were looking for. And the name of our company is, we call it No Free Rides, because, you know, no one wants, when you're trying to make it to the top, when you're trying to, you know, work hard as, as best you can, you don't want any stragglers to come along, you know, people taking credit for your success. So, you know, we say no free rides. You know, if you're coming along, you know, you're working, you know, you're putting your time, your talent, your energy into the project, even if you can't fully devote yourself even if it's just, you know, sharing on social media, you know, posting our GoFundMe page, you know, uh, which is still up along with our cash app and, you know, just making sure that the word gets out about us. So that's pretty much uh, what that group entails and how those group of people came together. Okay. So I'm so glad, you know, I'm coming in kind of late on all of this, despite the fact that Rob had sent me all of the answers to the question, you know, he sent me all the information about the production and I put together that post for the uh, for the film office website. But you mentioned before coming up to Erie and having Rob help you. Um, and of course, Mike, being my husband, came home and told me all about working on the production. But, you know, let's go back and and how did you find Erie? You know, how did you make it here? How did you connect with Rob? How did you choose our city? as as the place that you wanted to make your movie? Um, so Rob and I actually met on another short film that I had written called Fade, um, which we shot in July. We just kind of became really good friends right off the bat. Um, we laughed, we joked, we talked about movies, we bonded over all of that good stuff. And the last day of shooting on that project, he asked me, he said, hey, do you, you know, we should definitely do this again. Do you have anything that you have ready to go? And uh, at the time, it was One More Night with Love. I had finished it a while ago. And I was like, yeah, you know, I've actually been wanting to expand the story. And he asked me what it was about. I told him. 
And he said, man, I, I really think uh, with that story, you could film that in Erie, Pennsylvania. And obviously, you know, I had never really heard too much about Erie or been to Erie. So I was like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put that in my head and I'll, I'll hold on to it. And, uh, but I said, we'll definitely do something again. That night I got home from Frostburg, which is where we shot Fade. And I just remember what he said and I typed in Erie and I was like, man, this place is beautiful. This is gorgeous. Um, and our, si our sound guy, uh, JJ Huey, he told me to look up Prescott Isle and that would sell me. And so that's exactly what I did. When I saw that sunset at Prescott Isle, I was like, yeah, this is it. And so I reached out to Blue. We talked about it and I mentioned to her that Rob had mentioned Erie. And I told her, I said, just look at it. Look at Prescott Isle and imagine doing a scene there. And she looked at it and she was like, yeah, let's do it. Honestly, all, all credit goes to Rob on that one. Our Frank Media, that's who we're talking about, Rob. Um, and of course, Rob, is a co-producer of yours, correct? Yes, he is, he is. That's right. And so Rob has had all the equipment to shoot the film, right? He had a crew ready for you. So that really made it a lot easier, right? You had a lot of experienced crew waiting for you to come. And I know you brought some crew from Baltimore as well, Will, of course. So tell us about that experience here. It was, it was definitely a mixed bag, but it was, um... It was interesting to get experienced people who I have worked with before, but also meeting some new people for the first time and Mike um, and, and, and seeing how assertive and, and talented he is and what he does. Um, being that voice that we needed on days that we were running a behind schedule. But yeah, it, I mean, just being in Erie, like I mentioned in the, in the press release, they really cast their arms wide and, and their hearts around us, you know, and, and gave us the support we needed to, to make a film like this, especially during a, a turbulent time for everybody. I couldn't imagine doing it anywhere else because uh, once we wrapped, it felt like we were leaving, a, a, at least to me, it felt like I was leaving a part of myself in Erie um, and I had become family over the course of what, a, a week? And, and I think that really says a lot about the people that, you know, inhabit incredibly talented, especially everyone who works for our Frank Media. They do, a, they wear a lot of different hats. And if there's anybody that tells me they couldn't make a film in Erie, I would tell them that they were liars because they know what they're doing and they know how to do it well. So for me, it was nothing but a positive experience. I was pretty much astounded by you know, just some of the locations that we shot at in Erie, um, because when he first showed me the beach, you know, I was just like, man, like, this is beautiful. And, you know, even shout out to some of the other places in Erie that we filmed at. Dave's Diner, you know, who was inc uh, incredibly, you know, helpful to us, you know, thankful to Rob's family for letting us shoot at, you know, his lovely home and some of the other places in the neighborhood that we were able to go to. And also, you know, shout out to Rob for helping secure us a place to stay. I don't know if too many people knew about that, but he secured us a place to stay for the week at Peak and Pete Resort, you know, which was incredibly nice of him. And, you know, I had a great time at the resort staying there. It was, it, it, was, it, it felt like we were there for work, but it definitely also felt like a mini vacation in a sense. And, you know, and it was just so great to see, you know, all the many people that we interacted with. And like I said, I was just astounded by not only the professionalism and the kindness, but, you know, just how 
great everything looked and how you know everyone knew what they were talking about everyone knew what they were doing and you know i like i've watched a lot of films but i don't really have a ton of film experience so you know even you know just seeing a monitor behind megan you know and you know she's explained to me about the different shots and i'm hearing about camera techniques and things like that it was just it was just a really cool experience to be a part of and you know we're just so grateful just to be up in the area to do it and you know we would definitely do it again i want to ask a question and this is something weird and this lot to get as we like to say to inside baseball but you guys are actually experiencing something that's unique and i think at some point in every uh, every filmmaker's career they go through and it's sort of that first time that you take the show on the road and uh sort of like all of a sudden you are in the woods and you know in new settings and stuff like that and uh it's one of these weird things that doesn't get talked about that experience, but everybody goes through it the first time. And uh, how was that? And you don't have to necessarily talk about it per se, just from the eerie standpoint, but like, you know, as filmmakers, as storytellers and stuff like that, uh, what that, uh, what that shift and what the, the challenges and the pros and the cons of it were. It was, I would say it was incredibly uh, exciting. Even the, even the, the stressful times, you know, being able to, to learn from those so that, you know, the next time things like that come up, you know, how to, approach them and adjust to them. Yeah, it, it, like Will said, it felt like work, but it felt like vacation. And one of the things I always told myself uh, when I got into this is that um, there's a lot of different places in the world that I probably am not gonna be able to see in my lifetime. But if I can write um, an opportunity for me to travel and work at the same time, then that's all I, you know, that's all I ever want is to be able to experience new things in new places while doing the thing that I love. So um, it was a lot of fun um, meeting new people and, and moving into a space that has their own way of doing things or the you know their own kind of, because Erie is very different from where I live. So it was interesting seeing a, a different lifestyle so yeah, I mean, it, it was it was it was a blast. I, I'm still talking about it with my friends uh, to this day. So, but no, just to kind of piggyback off that, like it was definitely like a huge learning experience and a step in the right direction, uh, because you know we've like me, Brandon, and Glue have all done things in school and like we've done like little filming of shorts in school and things like that, but. You know, when you're going to a different city, you know, interacting with people like you've never met before. And, it's, you know, it's it can be a bit of a challenge, you know, to get adjusted. And, you know, it, there was definitely there were definitely some times where I really had to, you know, just really think hard about, you know, some of the different jobs that I was doing um, as far as like securing food for the set and, um, you know, making sure my lines were down and things like that. But it was all very valuable. And um, I think it was very helpful for me in my own personal journey, um, you know, just to be able to have this experience. And uh, like I said, because I wasn't a part of the Fade production personally, uh, so this was really my first foray into that. Uh, me and Brandon did submit uh, like a little short to a festival early on in the year, but you know, we never like filmed it or put it on. Uh, so to be able to do this was extremely helpful and informational. So now that you have your first short under your belt and you have kind of gone over those hurdles, you've written a short film, you've done all this production coordination, you've taken it on the road, like Mike said, 
you've taken it from your your school, your home city. You've rented gear. You've worked with an unknown crew in an unknown city. You know, I mean, you've done a lot. I haven't seen the footage, but I've seen some stills and it looks gorgeous. And Mike speaks very, very highly of it. And wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of achievement. So what's next for the film? Is it in post-production right now? My guess is yes. Uh, Once it's done, what are you going to do with it? So the plan as of now is uh, to, once it's all edited and cut together, uh, we want to apply to some film festivals and hopefully we can get some festival love, get some um, awards or recognition under our belts. Um, We have talked about using it as a proof of concept um, to hopefully tell a much larger story. Um, But if you know, if schedules don't align and, and we don't really feel like there is much room for that, then uh, we'll, we'll kind of let it be a one-off. But um, yeah, I think the next step is applying to the film circuit, um, film festival circuit and seeing what's out there and what opportunities we can create for ourselves from this opportunity. I think that John and Mike would step in and probably give you this advice too. I have heard them say it. So I'm just going to say it that um, just doing it is probably the next step really is if you're interested in making films, if you want to keep writing, if you want to keep producing anything is just to keep doing it. Would you agree, John? Would you agree, yeah, Mike? Of course. I'm, I'm curious if you guys are editing yourself. Yeah, the proof of concept idea, um, you know, again, without seeing the, the short or, or uh, reading the script. I mean, yeah, if you can, if you can show somebody, uh, you know, this is switching gears to like an investment funding point of view, but it makes all the difference in the world to be able to show, hey, we've pulled this off already and, you know, show your talents instead of just having it on paper. Hey, you know, give me some money to, to make a movie and it, it's something that people can't visualize at all. Um, I think if you, if you guys and your team um, can see an opportunity for a feature, that's also a great idea. But I'm curious, yeah, uh, who is editing? So we, or Blue has a, uh, is in a film internship and she, became really good friends with a girl named uh, Ashia Vaughn. Um, they went to Africa for a, a part of their film pro- uh, program. And I've seen a lot of footage that she's done. Uh, she's done some personal things for Blue as well. And she's really, really talented uh, with how she cuts together things. She does a lot of interesting things. So um, she is the editor and we are looking really, really forward to seeing some of the things that her and Blue are creating uh, as we speak. Yeah, she is very talented. She's very good. And, you know, we have all the trust in the world of her. Um, she actually edited our roundtable discussion that we had about a couple of months ago um, that we put on YouTube and stuff. And it turned out really well. Uh, so, yeah, she will be uh, handling that. You know, since since you did bring it up, we we don't want to miss the opportunity for some promotion. Where can people um, find out about the film? You know, on on social and stuff like that. Yes, yeah, so we currently have a Facebook and Instagram. Our Facebook page is the Color Brown. Our Instagram page is the underscore Color Brown. Don't quote me on that. 
I had to toy around with the name a couple of times because <laughs> it was it was taken a few times. But yeah, and um, on those websites, you know, we have a couple of production stills. Um, we have a link to the YouTube roundtable, like I said, uh, some videos, some set. And, you know, most importantly, uh, you know, that's where we have our GoFundMe link, uh, which is still up and active. We also have a cash app. That way we can just take donations, uh, you know, directly on that sort of sense. So good. Yeah, you you're smart and you guys are uh, set up set up to take support already. So. Good work. <laughs> First time out of the gate, you're already doing a lot of things many of us don't do correctly the first time. So so let's expand out a little bit, everyone, and talk about, um, because I have not, I mean, I just filmed something really small with Mike just a, just a few days ago, but there's only four people. Talk about how many people you had on your crew specifically um, here in Erie and some of the challenges that you faced uh, in production during a pandemic. So I believe we had 11 people, including Mike, I believe. It's funny because when we, we, we had more people that were supposed to come, but due to finding transportation and, and jobs and different things like that, we had to kind of scale back. But uh, it was a lot of jumping in and jumping out. Sometimes we had people who couldn't be there. We had sometimes people, everybody was there. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting process, but with, with COVID and everything going on, we always made sure that we socially di- uh, remained socially distant. We all wore masks. That was something that Rob was really um, uh, persistent about, um, was making sure that we did take those precautions. Temperature checks. We did temperature checks all the time. Yep, we did. Thank you for that, Mike, because I definitely was going to let that one drift from my brain. Yeah, you know, if we were, it it was a pretty open environment. So if anything did, you know, if I wasn't feeling well or anybody wasn't feeling well, um, we made sure that we had an environment where people felt comfortable enough to let that be known because of the time that we that we are in but it was kind of hard to envision this being successful like you said bringing this on the road into another place with me coming from southern maryland will and blue coming from baltimore and with COVID on the rise you know was something that we all wanted to make sure that uh we were being diligent about let me jump in. I, from experience standpoint, and you know, to, to sort of, but one of the things that I think I've noticed the most now, having been on both shoots and including the short film, and uh, as opposed to pre-COVID and stuff like that, is that the nature of uh, everything that's where the world is right now, it feels like, um, and this is nobody's individual fault because we all have to be careful. It, and I think you know this. John, like usually there's a little bit more of a camaraderie that gets to be had on set. And, you know, whether it's like the side conversations where you're huddling up and sort of talking about, like, it's not a complete impediment to the process, but it's, it has felt like on some level that you just can't quite get maybe as close. Like maybe you like this person, but it's just like, it's weird because it's like, hey, I still got to have this mask on and, you know, try to keep a little bit of a distance not because of anything personal, but because of just the ramifications of what could be. And uh, I think on some level, we're still all able to be professional and do our jobs, but you 
there's a little bit of the the joy that's lost with the nor what you normally have on set, uh, and you know, and that's not a, it, that's not a slight on anybody individually. It's just a sign of the times right now. Yeah, and I'd absolutely agree. Yeah, Brandon and Will, I was going to ask. Um, I would think for performance and for actors that it could be the most challenging there because. Um, Maybe you're losing some interaction between the director, um, you know, in a little bit of that closeness. Did you feel like there was a little bit of a, a barrier there or were you guys able to work around that just from the acting point of view? I think we were kind of lucky because Blue uh, was not only our director, but she was a co-star as well. So, you know, when she wasn't directing, uh, she was right next to me. So she could say, hey, you know, I, I really like what you did. Um, let's try and do this the next time around or, you know, deliver this a little differently. Um, but when she was directing and she wasn't playing love, which really was only in the, the first few minutes of the film, she always had her mask on um, and she, she did keep her distance away. She never really got too close. But, you know, it, it did kind of take away that interaction and that charm of being able to work, you know, director to actor, there being different things that she may want to tell me that she doesn't want to tell Will and vice versa, so that those things can play out naturally on screen. Yeah, I think on this project, we did get pretty lucky in that sense, um, because if this was something different, we it probably would have been a much different learning curve. Yeah, did you guys have to build in... Um some extra slower time or slower days just to kind of accommodate uh, all the temperature checks and things like that? Did you add extra days? I've heard that on some productions, they say generally you should account for like a cost of 20 to 25% more of your budget just because of all the time added with process. Did you guys um, build in some extra days or were you up against the the clock like every independent film is like you're chasing chasing the clock all the time anyway so so from we we were in pre-production for about three months and we tried to come up with a contingency plan for all the different things that could come up and when we got to Erie um, we realized how much our backs were against the wall almost immediately. Um, we had rehearsed every day pretty much for, I don't know how long, you know, a lot of our time at Peak and Peak was spent rehearsing lines, building our, you know, continuing to build our chemistry outside of our friendship. When we got on set, it was definitely uh, the race against the clock all the time because, you know, you wanted to make, you know, Mike and the, all the G&Es were we're getting everything set up and then we're talking to Rob and with us wearing so many different hats, you know, it's like, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you as a producer and then now I'm talking to you as the writer and then now I'm talking to Blue as the actor. Um, and then it's like, oh, did you get your temperature check? It's like, I gotta go run and do that. Am I in the right costume for this scene? Um, because it all pretty much takes place in a day. So um, it was definitely a lot. Uh, but again, you know, having people like Mike, I remember on the very last day of shooting. We, oh, the beach, shades, beach. Yeah. yeah, we were, for the first time ever, Blue and I were struggling with lines and we're fighting with the sun. And Mike came up and was like, guys, I love you. 
you've done great up until this point. You've got to, like, you've got to nail it. Like, we cannot, like, if this, if the light, yeah, the light was going to make the decision for you. Exactly. Yeah. And I think those were the yeah. act that was actually the same exact words you used. And yeah. it was that motivation for Blue and I to, to say, okay, we've got it. And I don't think we, we really, you guys it. did great. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. You guys really locked it in at that point. And I think everybody who's done the creative process has been there where it's just like you're trying to get the right tone and then as what's the there's a saying that perfection or the pursuit of perfection is the enemy of good mm -hmm. and uh and like and i think that all because you know you can feel it when you're so close but if you're trying to hit perfect it can it can become an impediment but i i actually thought particularly on that day and every day the performances but like I don't think it was, I mean, I don't know how you felt about it because I was, you know, seeing it through the monitor and stuff like that, but I thought the performances that they were incredibly strong. I appreciate that. And even, even, be even before, you know, the little bit, like I just had to tell you from the gaffing stat standpoint, it's like, we're losing light. You're always chasing the light. And I'm always love. chasing the love. <laughs> and that, that wasn't the first day either. We, <laughs> it was, we had the, the night before when we were at Rob's house. It was it was like, all right, we got to hit high gear um, because we were behind from pretty much the beginning of the day. So it was always playing catch up. And I think we got some really great performances out of that as well. But, you know, again, having people like Mike, Rob, even Will, you know, pulling us to the side and saying, hey, guys, like, we've got to get this right. Because if we don't get it today, that like it's it. Especially using someone's house, you know, and, and having a family, those were other issues that came up. And so we had those all all around, you know, shades, how long we're we gonna have that, and then how long we're we gonna be able to, to use Rob's house. All of our contingency plans from the very beginning that we had planned for three months just went out the window the moment we stepped foot on uh, on Erie soil. No, I would I would definitely say too, um, just going back to COVID, it was like when we got up to Erie and Peak and Peak more specifically, um, that was honestly the first time we were able to walk out the scenes in person because, you know, we were being so diligent about, you know, not meeting up, you know, you know, maintaining socially distant. So every rehearsal up to that point was through Zoom. And sometimes me and Blue have, you know, just Zooms with each other. Me and Brandon will have a Zoom with each other. You know, sometimes it'll be all three of us. But those days when we walked like uh, to the cemetery for the example like that was le legit the first time that we were walking that scene out so it's just like with anything it's like there's a difference in memorizing something in your brain but now like your body has to add all these extra movements with it so you know it it, it was kind of an adjustment period and i you know i give brandon and blues a lot of credit because like i said a lot of those scenes you know, they ran through, but they weren't really able to walk them out until we got to set that day. And I never even <laughs> considered the fact that you would have, you were having to rehearse through a Zoom. That had to be impossible. And it was, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I like a lot of those scenes are, are really emotional scenes. You know, there's a, it's, they're heavy and having to do that when you can't connect, you know, one-on-one -on -one through, the phone is really is incredibly hard, you know. I mean, it's the same situations as people who are losing family members now and and can't talk to them in nursing homes. It's not the same as being able to hold them, you know, tell them that you love them and things like that. 
So being able to try and have those heavy conversations over Zoom just felt nearly impossible. And there were times where, you know, we would all get frustrated and say like, I'm not giving you everything because it's impossible to give you everything, you know? So you just have to trust mm -hmm. on the day when we get there that it'll come, it'll be natural, it'll play. And, you know, we did what, two days of rehearsal. Um, mm -hmm. But even those days we were shoot ready because for the first time that we were able to put our bodies into it, all that emotion just came naturally. It flowed out of us because we had been storing it, storing it for three months. And so um, it was definitely an impossible feat, but you know, with the team that we had and the support that we had from everybody back home in, in Erie, it never felt truly impossible to do once we were able to, to get there. That's wild. That's kind of wild to me right there. But like, yeah, no, and it came together so well. I, I never even thought about all the hurdles and obstacles as far as the rehearsal. With my film that I did a couple of years back, we didn't have it in the budget to do rehearsal. So I'm kind of thinking now, you know, to play a bit of devil's advocate, like a lot of low budget films, you know, if you have cast coming from LA and New York and different places, like you might not have the budget to, you know, fly them all in a week early, do rehearsal. And so the first time people are seeing or speaking to each other ever is like on set, like an hour before they're all going to perform with each other. Right. So I'm wondering if Zoom rehearsal, yeah, I totally get the, that it's impersonal and it's got to be hell on, on the actor, on the talent for sure. But I'm wondering if it can be used at least to kind of test the waters on some things, on some smaller films that can't afford, you know, you, you all are in a really unique position. I'm thinking from like a budget point of view, you know, if you have the director that's acting and, you know, you're crafty that's acting and, you know, you're, maybe your assistant director that's acting. Like if you have people in the right position wearing multiple hats, then yeah, it sounds like a way to avoid a wise way if you have the level of talent, you know, to wear all of those hats to kind of um, scale down your crew a little bit and work around some of those social distance issues. Obviously not everybody's going to be able to do that. And then I'm also wondering about this Zoom rehearsal thing and if that will become more of the norm. The digital table read. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. We, we definitely did that. We, we did that. We did a few throughout the writing process. Will hopped on and he did... Um, a few readings with us just to make sure that everything came together nicely and we could hear it. But I, I would absolutely um, recommend Zoom rehearsals to even bigger budget projects. They, they were for as frustrating and, and stressful they were for as an actor, they were definitely beneficial um, because you can still from director to actor pass along the different things that you would like to have. In, in that person's particular performance. Um, you know, Blue was able to hear Will and I do a reading and give us notes. And even though we weren't giving her everything because of how frustrating it, it would get, you know, sometimes the video would lag, sometimes the audio would mess up. And, you know, you're like on, re you're rehearsing for like two hours 
And it's like, if it's going to do this the entire time, we might as well just stop. But you realize that you have a bigger goal in mind. I think it is. I think it's an incredibly valuable tool to have um, because even a Christopher Nolan film, you know, like Robert Pattinson showed up from the Batman test shoot and had to go right into filming. And so, you know, if he would have been able to be in his trailer preparing for that and then say, hey guys, I need like an hour I'm rehearsing like this scene with John David Washington or whatever, you know, that will always be helpful for the actor rather than just being thrown right into the fire and saying, hey, let's go. Hope you're ready. Hope you've been doing what you your actors work. So I don't even know if it was if it was like a conscious decision to, to do it over Zoom. I think it was just something that um, I don't live. I live maybe an hour away from Baltimore. Blue and Will actually don't live too far away from each other. So they could have done it. But I think what's in everybody's mind right now is just being safe and being smart about what's going on. And so we had done our writing coalition meetings on Zoom. So I guess it was just kind of like the an inferred detail of like, okay, when we rehearse, here's the Zoom link for, for those times. Like, I think we benefited definitely because we all already knew each other and had a close relationship with each other on a personal and professional level. Uh, so we were able to really kind of work and gel well together. But I mean, personally, I'm, I'm always going to be an advocate for doing it in person. Like, I mean, it's, there's nothing like doing it in person, but I do think Zoom rehearsals are a good idea um, if you're trying to consider the budget and if you're trying to just, you know, consider social distancing protocols. Um, you know, me and Blue do live close to each other, but you know, I do stay with, you know, parents that were high risk. So I didn't want to, you know, really take that chance. So, you know, it was just doing what we had to do just to, you know, make sure that we had the best performance possible. And, you know, even when we got up to, uh, got up to Erie, like we did a table read at a restaurant, like, and that was the first time we actually did a table read in person with everyone, like, Literally, I'm sitting here with a plate of wings and, you know, we're going over lines and things like that. Uh, you know, just just making it work when you can. But I, I do think Zoom rehearsals should be something that, you know, stays around for the long term. Um, but, you know, I think that was the cool part. That's the cool part about filmmakers in being, you know, having this sense of artistry is this the feeling of being able to go with things on the fly and being OK with it, you know filmmakers and any artist always has a contingency plan, always knows how to adapt. Um, some not don't know how to do it as well, but it's, it's built in us from the moment that we decide that this is what we want to do. Um, you know, some people max out their credit cards. Some people use their cell phones to make movies. You know, it's just a part of who we are. And so doing a table read in a, in a restaurant obviously would be nerve wracking to the average person, but it just it was something we had to do in order to do what we wanted to do. And so I, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but, you know, obviously I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to take the mask off, get back to doing films were initially intended to be, to be done personally up close and, and, and things like that, because you even have to take that into account when writing now, you know, I can't write a scene for, you know, a, a bar or a nightclub anymore. You know, and if you do, what is it like? Is it going to be this this bar that's that's dead? You know, or like, I mean, you you just there's just so many different things you have to think about when you when you're making movies now. So I think it's fascinating how 
COVID has made its way into storylines. And for example, last night, Mike and I were watching, of course, 60 Minutes. That's what we do on Sunday nights now. And there was a commercial for Mike. What was it? It was a it was a trial show. It was a Oh yeah, the CBS trial show. Uh, yeah, the CBS the trial show. Uh, yeah, it was a show with the judge. They're all, you know, they're wearing masks. They're wearing different kinds of masks, and there's plexiglass up in the trial, you know, in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And it's not about that. It's just they're like it's just normal life. It's it's they're reflecting back what life is like for all of us now. So it was, it was not even different. It was just showing, showing us, showing them going about their lives. Like we all are now, I think at first see, you know, on television, what we were all seeing in our normal lives first, people didn't know what to do. You know, we were all watching reruns, (laughs) reruns. Uh, we weren't watching new programming, uh, but now new programming is just showing us what we, what we all see. Um, and they were doing kind of dramas on zoom. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to see, I think it'll be, it's not so bad. You know, your writing can reflect back what, what people are living. You don't necessarily have to write like a dead bar. You can write, you know, people having zoom cocktails, having a having a blind date, you know, over, over. The only problem is, and I think that I think we're starting to get zoomed out. Like. I agree. People are getting zoomed out. So that's why I sort of applaud uh, shows like All Rise, which is the show we were talking about. And I think. Oh, thank you, Mike. (laughs) Was Bull because it's like they have figured out really clever ways to integrate what is happening with COVID into a high quality production value of the show. And as much as I love talking to all of you beautiful people, it's just that we are all sick of talking to our computer screens. Yeah. (laughs) We are. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, you know, like uh, as of this recording, um, Pfizer, you know, which is working on a vaccine, they just had, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but their trials were like 90% or something successful, which you know, means still though, we're probably like a year out of, um, you know, like widespread. So, you know, looking at uh, the theaters struggling, looking at, you know, like exhibition and things like that. And then seeing like, I, I brought this back around to the Mandalorian, which is where we, where we started before we started <laughs> recording. But like the Mandalorian, right? They're doing this um, AR wall uh, well, basically, in the Mandalorian, it's a full dome, and and anybody correct me if if I'm wrong here, but essentially, the camera programming is tied into um, the background, which is usually created in like the Unreal for game gamers out there. There's like the Unreal Engine, which makes you know kind of all the back backgrounds and backdrops. And the interesting thing, so I've been looking at this because you know green screen as like a visual effects um you know tool you have to go through and like if somebody has blonde hair or something like that you have to remove like the green tint and like it's a lot of work and then you have this static background 
But the thing that's interesting with these AR walls, um, and I was, I'm looking at this, this company that's it's actually called AR wall. Um, and they have a product now and we don't, we're not getting any money for this, but if AR wall is listening to this and wants to send, um, an AR effects home studio to the film society, we, we would definitely take one. <laughs> we'll start shooting we tomorrow. Take it. <laughs> but I mean, when, when you guys were talking about, you know, chasing the light, think of, you know, these, as with all technology, you know, yes, there's Disney and the Mandalorian, which is basically shooting like a Star Wars film times 10. They, there's no way they could make a show like the Mandalorian without technology and advancements like this. So think about chasing the light in that sunset and magic hour and stuff like that. But imagine if you have like, say, a half pipe behind you you wouldn't need to worry about that ever. Like you could shoot magic hour every day on set, you know, like 18 hours a day. Um, so I'm just wondering if, you know, just like Zoom has become part of the conversation and maybe Zoom rehearsals, you know, become something that independent films just do normally now because, um, you know, it just wasn't part of our vocabulary before. But now to me, once hearing, you know, Brandon and Will talk about it, like, it makes so much sense. Like, yeah, why didn't I just have my cast, like, over Skype or Zoom or something like that, instead of saying, oh, shit, we're out of luck. We can't do any rehearsals. You know, now it seems like so obvious. I wonder if technology like this, um, you know, because it may take a long time before we get to the point of where we can have so many people on set anyways. Um, I wonder if things will change in the long in the long term if some of this will stick around. I guess I'm just curious on everyone's. I think the Mandalorian, the way that they're shooting, is absolutely actually revolutionizing the way that we are about, even after COVID. It's proving to be cost effective for them, and uh, now you're, at, you know, for a while our imaginations were able to, you know, not exceed our grasp, but now it's even even more because one of the things that they're able to do that is very unique about their setup on that show. And they, by the way, they're shooting Batman uh, in the same uh, setting uh, is that if the actor wants to respond to something in real time, they have the uh, graphic designers and uh, they have their people there to immediately program that person. It's like, or that, uh, that creature in the Mandalorian. And it's just like, you can look off into the distance and they can program the, they can do take one. It's like, ah, oh, it didn't work. What about take two? Okay, add this droid. And all of a sudden there's a droid going back. So the actor can really respond to what is happening in real time, which I think has an impact on the performance. Just some food for thought. Um, yeah, the interesting thing too is all these big budget movies that have been going on for years, you know, they pay for all these special effects people to create all of those like monsters and creatures Mike is talking about, but also like basic things like tables and chairs and vehicles and like any background you can imagine, like down to the style of street light you want and how you want that light to look. What they do is when they're done with every one of these films is they just put it into a library and basically you can just go shopping. You can just say, I want that car, okay, $30. I want that street, $50. I want that light. 
and you you can build your own background from scratch. So I'm just wondering, you know, Brandon, when you were talking about like the empty bar, you could actually, you know, fill out a bar with people, with people doing certain things, with even the certain bottles that you want behind the bar. I mean, it's just, it's kind of mind blowing once, once you go down that road. Yeah, I, I think the film industry is, uh, is pretty incredible because there's so many different innovative minds that are willing to like change, change the industry for what it is and like trailblaze their own path. And like that, the fact that like we had green screen, which was an amazing, you know, innovation, but I mean, let's just be real. It was something that was becoming more and more outdated. And so now to have this AR wall, that's pretty incredible. Cause I think I've seen something on YouTube of like um, the Mandalorian, like walking on like a, like a platform and like the background was kind of changing behind, behind them. And so um, it's pretty incredible to, to know that that's something that kind of came from this I, I i don't know if it came from this or if that was something that they were probably working on beforehand but seeing it m used more now than than ever before i'm just interested to see how filmmaking like i wish we could fast forward and post-covid and see what filmmaking will go to afterwards will it will we just revert back to old ways or will we try and still maintain this sense of socially distance um, these safety precautions, you know, are we gonna, like, what will the new norm look like? That's, that's been my biggest, um, curiosity, um, because, you know, obviously we all want to make movies for a long time. Planning for those things and seeing what that's going to be is, I guess, my, my next big foray into the industry is, okay, how can I do my part to help try and change what's going on? So, especially as a young filmmaker. Yeah, and as you were alluding to kind of before, Brandon, like us filmmakers, we don't like to be told no and that we can't do something, right? <laughs> so COVID-19 is probably um, not going to be the last uh, situation. We may see this more and more and more with climate change and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting and uh, good to have pioneers like you guys um, out there testing the waters and being creative and telling stories and finding Thank a way you, to yeah. tell stories, man. It's crucial. Thank you so much, guys. It's been awesome having you on the podcast. Very, very cool. And we can't wait to see the movie. So keep us informed. All right. We'll stay, we'll stay on the, we'll follow you guys on Facebook and Instagram and stay on top of it, but stay in touch with us too. Okay. Will do. Thank you so much for having us. Really. Yeah, thank you so much. We, we really appreciate it. Look forward to seeing it in a uh, physical environment and having a beer together someday, guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I would, like I said in the article, I would love to come back to Erie and do something else. Um, so if, you know, given the opportunity, we all are able to work on something together, that would be a real treat. And I would love, 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 love to show you the film and be able to have that beer together because Lord knows we are missing it. We are missing it. Cheers. Guys, it was great to see you again. Please tell Blue I said hello. We'll do. We definitely yeah, cool. will. Hell yeah. Keep writing, guys. Keep keep writing. It's a yeah. good time for that. Always. Yep. <laughs> see you All soon. Right.
That's been our episode. Thank you to our guests, Brandon Chase and Will Brewington III. Make sure you follow the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office on social media. You'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, this was Film Grain.